Welcome to the Keeney Interviews. Through this series, you will meet leading practitioners from the water sector and hear their stories. Together, we will address water challenges and discuss how best to face them. Keeney is the Malaysian word for current, and this initiative promotes the flow of ideas within the water sector. Hi, I'm Karen Delfo, and welcome to today's Kinney interview. Today I'm going to be speaking with three remarkable women who have led market-based approaches to wash and sanitation in particular in the Philippines. And they work or have worked for Oxfam in order to undertake this project. This interview came about in a very different way. I was at Stockholm Water Week and I was speaking with some colleagues of theirs from Oxfam and I said, what are you most excited about that Oxfam has been doing in um, in the Indo-Pacific region? And they said, oh my goodness, you need to talk to Rona and her team because they have done some phenomenal work around sanitation marketing. And the more I spoke with them, I'm, the more I realized, okay, you're dealing with a post-disaster situation, context, uh, and at the same time, you're really rethinking ways to empower women to learn new skills in order to take up leadership and authority in communities in the Philippines. So I hope that you will enjoy their remarkable story and the very unique approach that they've been able to take. Um, I learned a lot from this interview, and I hope you will also. With that, I'm Karen Delfo, and here is today's Kitty interview with the Oxfam Philippines. Thank you all for being here today and for joining me on this Kitty interview to talk about Oxfam's work around sanitation marketing, some of the innovative financial structures, and some of the women's leadership projects that have come out of your work in the Philippines. Um, I'm hoping that each of you can start by introducing yourself. My name is Rona, Rona Ramos. So I was the former uh, wash and market specialist for Oxfam, uh, year 2015 to 2016. So all in all, I was the one in charge of designing the model for the wash and markets program. And at the same time, the program implementation oversight and also uh, provided some mentoring for the team in terms of technical uh, capacity. And at the same time as well, I guess also the one of the key aspects of the program is partnership development, So, which are all part of my core responsibility during that time. So currently, I am the in-country uh, wash advisor for Oxfam Philippines. So also doing the oversight and in charge of developing the WASH programs in the Philippines, especially for the market-based programming, and also the humanitarian uh, response strategy for Oxfam. And also providing support and market-based development for at least four countries within the Asia region. So and, and also I'm very happy and thank you for giving us the opportunity to sh share uh, our learnings and experiences in actually implementing a market-based program, especially in the context of post-emergency uh, situations. I am Perlita Gagotno. I was a former Washington Markets uh, micro-enterprise officer in Bantayan, assigned in Bantayan Island. So um, I was designated as the 
enterprise officer, I was assigned as a community organizer on the We Care Project or the Women Economic Empowerment Project. I am now the regional coordinator of the Mediators Network for Sustainable Peace in Eastern Visayas. So I'm Camille Adle. I'm I used to be the Washington Markets Officer of Eastern Samar. Um, basically, my role was um, to organize um, masons in in Eastern Samar. Um, make sure that they are trained and uh, to be sanitation um, service providers. Um, also to um, organize um, and mobilize uh, LGU, so the local government units, and also uh, to manage our partner there, which was a an enterprise development partner. So at the moment, I'm um, I'm in Christian Aid. I'm working as a humanitarian program officer. So right now, I'm mostly involved in humanitarian work and coordination. Um, currently, uh, I'm the Secretariat of the Philippine INGO Network, which is um, a network of all the INGOs working in the Philippines. I'm wondering if one of you would mind to give us really a sort of 30,000-foot perspective, an overview of um, the Washington Markets Program and how it started and where it was located and what it achieved. Okay. Yes. All right. So, um, so when Oxfam... Um, started its market-based wash. Um, we actually started with a sanitation marketing project in Bantayan. So that was where I started working. So before Pearl was in Bantayan, I was already there uh, working as a sanitation marketing officer. Um, what we were really trying to do then was to um, try an, a new approach to wash that wouldn't involve the usual subsidies. So um, sanitation marketing was introduced to us uh, and along with CLTS. So there's a part of the WASH team that was doing CLTS while I was doing the sanitation marketing part. Our understanding then was that we would have to do it together. Um, so while CLTS is working in the communities, sanitation marketing would be setting up the supply side. So, but um, at the time, it was a new concept. Uh, we were all learning from, from uh, as we went. You know, we were learning as we went. So, um, we basically started by organizing the masons. This is where the women masons come in. So, fortunately for us, in Bantayan, there were trained male and female masons from the emergency time of Typhoon Yolanda. So, because the, there was a lack of, of manpower, so they trained masons, both male and female, all those who were willing, and then that's where we started. So, we were able to train them on low-cost sanitation technology, and after which we tried to teach them how to market these products. So that's basically where we started. And then we realized that um, perhaps Masons are not the best entrepreneurs since they are more used to being labor, so being employed, than doing marketing themselves. And I think all the lessons that we learned from the 
sanitation marketing project is what led us to develop the Wash and Markets project, which we started last year. So Pearl did it in Bantayan while I did it in Eastern Samar. I started getting involved with the sanitation marketing, same time that Camille has, has been doing sanitation marketing in Bantayan Island in Cebu City, in the province of Cebu, I mean. So I went in as a microfinance officer for sanitation marketing. This is way back 2015. Uh, uh, during that time, there were two approaches that Oxfam is trying to actually do. One is microenterprise development, which is more focusing on developing the Mason's capacity in becoming sanitation entrepreneurs. And then at the same time, how do you sell toilets to the households? So that's why they actually needed a microfinance partner to develop uh, financing products that would also cater to households. So that was the initial concept of sanitation marketing. But then the challenge on that part, on the initial, initial try of sanitation marketing, is that it was anchored also on another project, which actually has a subsidy component for households. So, and I think one of the challenges in that one is the subsidy itself, because it actually uh, didn't build the capacity of the household to invest on sanitation facilities, but rather depended on the subsidy that the donor was giving. And we just actually uh, used the MFI partner then as a service provider for the construction of the toilets. So this, uh, the initial approach of sanitation marketing was initiated in 2015. So when 2016 came in and there was an opportunity to actually try it again, so that's when the concept of wash and markets came in. So wash and markets was developed from the learnings of sanitation marketing in 2015. We had Eastern Samar and Bantayan Island again. So the project was implemented in two regions which is Region 7 and Region 8, so Eastern Visayas and Northern Cebu. And uh, uh, the model was uh, actually uh, designed based on the context and different uh, factors involved in those two areas. So the financing model of Washington Market is actually developed in Bantayan Island, uh, the enterprise component and more uh, governance and advocacy aspect was mainly focused in Eastern Summer because of the contextual differences. When I came to Bantayan, I was left with, uh, as Camille said, the, um, the Masons were trained. Um, actually, market chain were, were, were there. First, we reorganized the, the, the trained Masons and then um, as we can see that uh, they are not yet trained entrepreneurs, we rethink the market chain and then we, we scan the, the context of Bantayan. We find out that there are um, SLPs or the Sustainable Livelihood Associations wherein um, the DSWD or the Department of Social Welfare Deve Development um, has a SLP program which is the, which is the livelihood arm of the DSWD. Bantayan has 65% um, of the Bantayan residents or households don't have toilets. So we recommend to the DSWD that the, this, um, this fund could be, uh, could be allotted to build a toilet that will be built by the 
by the masons and then uh, for the SLP, SLP will provide the, the materials to build the toilet. So, uh, and then came the, the problem on the financing. So we came up with the, with Cebu People's Multipurpose Cooperative. When we approach Cebu People's Multipurpose Cooperative, we noticed that uh, there is this program of the CPMPC that we can look into. That's it's it. actually Savings Aim for Ventures and Dreams. Yeah. It's called Saved. Saved, all right. And then uh, also under the Saved, there is a PPT or Piso Piso Tagom. It means that um, the beneficiary or the member of co cooperative, um, the cooperative has a minimum um, savings uh, um, allotment for for members. Members can only save for like uh, one peso, and the and uh, co-op will actually accept it even just for a piece peso. We we did a meeting with the with the CPMPC to for them to also uh, to also look at our to also look at our uh, program, if we can actually interlink our program and then come up with a financing program for the toilets. So that was the, that was the, the concept why we, we, we go to the CPMPC for the finan financing program. It's interesting because what I'm hearing is that you know, the, the process of getting this financing moving forward it was just such a concerted effort amongst so many different partners operating in the region, in a lot of different areas, trying to help support people's livelihoods. And it took this almost collaborative and creative approach to figure out who was going to play what roles, what programs were already happening. How do you leverage some of the funds that are available? How do you leverage some of the um, institutions that are available and and the momentum in order to get this started and off the ground. How long did it take you to sort of scope all of that out? Maybe it's worth mentioning now that um, what happened in Eastern Samar was quite different from what happened in Bantayan. Uh, while Pearl was able to set up the financial model in Bantayan, it, it wasn't uh, necessarily the same for us in Eastern Samar. So we had the multiple challenges because um, at the time, uh, most of the uh, the wash program of um, as as Aterona mentioned, um, Oxfam was still doing um, the traditional wash subsidies alongside the the market based wash at the time, and they were doing it mostly in Eastern Samar, and this led to uh, more constraints, more constraints because. Um, of course, how do you introduce market-based wash to communities and to local government units while there are others in your team introducing a totally different wash, a wash project or wash um, uh, products that, that could just be subsidized. So um, it, had, it was especially difficult for us to also find financial institutions that would um, and uh, would do what CPMPC did, you know, who would take the risk in in um, um, making a new loan, uh, a new financial product that um, 
that communities could access. So, um, for us, in Eastern Samar, what we did was really to try to establish relationships with local government units and um, try to get them on board the wash, the market-based WASH program. Um, we only had success with one municipality in Eastern Samar, but we were able to succeed with them in uh, because uh, they actually liked the program. But uh, if I compare this to the other municipalities that I was working with in the same area, um, Sulat uh, was uh, took on this market-based wash project because there was no wash subsidies in their area. I mean, no no NGOs were working there, were operating there. So uh, for them, it's just the logical way to go to avoid dependence dependency uh, uh, amongst their constituents. While for Giwan and Salcedo, the other two municipalities where we were working with, it was very difficult because the the traditional wash subsidies were working, were very much in work, uh, functioning there. So they had all these water safety plans and um, water systems built, uh, toilets given to them that really made it difficult for us to kind of sell the project to them. So, so in Eastern Summer, we focused on mobilizing the LGU in Sulat. Uh, so what we did there was basically to pitch the project to them. This is what market-based wash looks would look like, would potentially look like, but it depends on your context. And then they did their own, they, they tried to scan their area or how many of them were, were oh, had toilets or not. Um, and from there, I, I think the main thing that they liked about the market-based wash is that there is the potential to provide livelihoods for many people. So not just Masons, but it could potentially provide livelihood opportunities for entrepreneurs, for health workers who would like to sell the the products and the services. Um, also, it would help them achieve their their plans of being zero open defecation. So, and then they also saw an opportunity to work together inside the local government unit. So they were able to mobilize their DSWD, which was the arm of the social welfare department that provides infrastructure. They were able to mobilize the sustainable livelihood project. Also, um, working together, uh, they were able to continue the project even now uh, that we're not there already. So, to answer your question on how long did it take, I, I'm sure Pearl would have her own answer on this. But for us, to get all stakeholders together and to, you know, to try to convince them to do this, uh, I'm sure it would, in an ideal project, it would probably have taken longer. But for us, we had to do it in in a month or two <laughs> because we were definitely constrained with time so we had to do it in a month or two and just get the project going um is it possible that we could speak just a little bit more about subsidies because it keeps coming up uh and it really seems like there's been this dependency created around subsidies and sure. I'm wondering yeah. what, what's going to happen if all of a sudden those subsidies just go away. Well, the subsidies keep coming out because um, these 
this is the way that wash is usually done here in the Philippines and I guess in a lot of areas uh, in the world. So um, even the local government, when they speak about wash, it's always in the language of subsidies that we provide this water system. We have budget for toilets. We have, you know, um, there is no focus on having households invest in wash. So, um, I guess at the time, um, because we were coming from a, an emergency project and we were, you know, we were trying to apply the market-based approach in a more or less a recovery to rehabilitation project. Um, there were still many NGOs or even some units of the government who were still providing um, toilet units or water systems. It was just part of their projects. And that we cannot avoid. So, of course, they, these are being done in in those most affected areas of the typhoon. But what we did realize was that if you worked in in areas where uh, traditional wash or the these subsidies are still being done, it will be very very challenging to do a market based program or a market based project. Um, whereas if you work in a municipality like Sulat, which has not received that much, which is not supported by any um, agency or organization in WASH, so it's, I think it's easier to, to present something like this to them. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the subsidies were... Uh, we're influenced by donors, you know. Most donors are still into, you know, providing these things. So we we just had to, you know, work alongside that and try to work even against the, you know, work against the tide, I guess. I think there's a maybe a psychological element at play within the communities that work within a project such as yours as opposed to somebody who receives that um, and there's even research that shows that even when people pay a nominal amount for a cistern or for a toilet, they have a bit more, not respect, but they tend to take care of it more. They see it more as something of value um, as opposed to something that's just given for free. And what's going to happen in terms of the long-term outcomes from, from a, a sanitation marketing or uh, markets and wash approach as opposed to the um, aid dependency or um, or the subsidy approach. Have you seen that in the field as well? Um, and is that part of why you decided to take this approach? We're looking at uh, introducing an alternative approach because there are a lot of subsidies in the area. There are a lot of subsidies being given out by INGOs and the government has a lot of subsidy programs. It's just a matter of how actually we can influence those programs right now to actually make uh, subsidy work in terms of supporting market development for sanitation. Because a free toilet to household, uh, maybe looking at how we can work within those subsidies and actually leverage both... Uh, government funds and actually even private sector funds to actually look at sanitation as an opportunity to build the capacity of the communities in terms of providing their own sanitation needs and at the same time creating income opportunities for those who would want 
actually to be interested in looking at it as an enterprise or as a livelihood activity. I think when we were implementing Washington markets, uh, I think that was our mindset. At least let's give them something that they could actually uh, build on. So maybe just influence the government and show them, hey, look, we know you have money, but goals may not be sustainable. So why don't we just use your money instead to actually support this side of sanitation? And maybe then, you know, it will be more sustainable in that way that communities are actually uh, uh, empowered and that, you know, they will not be dependent on uh, aid or other government uh, support. And I think Karen yes. also made a very Great. good point on the psychological aspect of actually yeah. having the all out program so the perception we look at the perception and how people see sanitation so that's why i think we we focus more on building the dignity of people even though there are a lot of available options that they can get for free but you are right because there is a sense of ownership and there is a sense of dignity when you are actually being able to provide for your own sanitation when we design the program we make sure that it builds or empowers people so which also, I think, form part of the training or in recruiting female masons. It's about building their confidence to being active part of actually uh, the sanitation value chain. I think Ateron has already uh, said, um, has already articulated most of it. But um, perhaps uh, we, we had to learn about their their motivators why why they wanted to to have toilets and what would make them have uh, what make them want to have a toilet uh, things like that and then what were their constraints um and we we found out through the study was uh that most of them were actually you know looking into subsidies by the government or ngos because uh, some of them were saying that maybe we would not um, spend on toilets anymore or fa sanitation facilities or any wash facilities because anyway there's there's free services being given here or there so yeah I totally agree that uh, subsidies do have that effect on people and dependency uh, which we tried to to break somewhat um, through this approach we tried to at least introduce to them that wash is something that you actually need to invest on. Uh, it's not something that you just leave to the government or for other people so that you can get it or access it. So you, you need to be able to access it on your own um, and not depend on others for it. And also um, be able to introduce the communities that uh, it's something that's that they can attain actually, because uh, one of the main constraints is always financial. It's, it's expensive to have toilets constructed in an island because it's too far, far away and materials are very expensive, things like that. Services are, are, are very costly as well, you know, the, the mason services, so it's, we'd rather not spend on that. So, um, yeah, that's that's one area that we tried to break and try to introduce something new.
and maybe try to get communities thinking that it's something that we should be investing on. Uh, it's an it's something important. It's it should be a priority. Uh, of course, that didn't. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that we were able to do that in a in a span of five months, but it's what this approach uh, also tried to do. Just for clarification purposes, I don't want to say that all subsidies are harming the psychology of communities because that's not the case. I mean, there's subsidies that really help people. I'm hoping, Camille, you can tell us a little bit more about the women's empowerment that was happening through this project and in particular the training of the Masons and how that came about and some of the Um, successes coming out of that. Training the women Masons wasn't a, it wasn't a deliberate um, part when we started it, you know. Um, It just so happened that I came across lists of names of of masons that we already trained during the emergency phase of the program and we saw that there were actually male and female masons so uh, these were masons who were trained then to help with you know reconstructing houses and other structures in the community after the typhoon and then um so at the time that we were about to organize masons so we I contacted some of them. Uh, they they were they were more than willing to try out something new. And you know, women were more excited about this, I think, because they are eager to show what they've got and what they've learned. Because um, Oxfam actually provided them with a technical training that led them to have a certification in the TESDA. That's our Technical Education Skills Development Authority. So. Uh, they were eager to show what they've got, uh, the, you know, their masonry skills that they got, the carpentry skills that they got, because no one would hire them in the community. So maybe in the beginning when there were still uh, a need for many, many masons, so people would get them as alternatives to the male masons. But in reality, they they couldn't get real jobs in the government or in any construction firms because they they would always be hearing things like oh you're a woman you can't carry this you you, you won't be able to do this you won't be able to climb um, houses or roofs and do these things that men can do so yeah so they started very eager so they they joined our training uh, they said that they were willing to try it out even if they have um, little experience compared to the male masons that we invited. Uh, the good thing about our program was, I guess it helped the male masons uh, see a side to these women that, okay, maybe it is possible that you can do masonry work or carpentry work. When they started, they were not talking to each other. <laughs> the male masons were we're on a one side of the room or one side of the construction area. The women were on the other side and would, they wouldn't help each other. But uh, we tried to organize them into groups. So you, we work in groups. So we combine the males and the females. And then they started talking and, you know, sharing about their life stories, their experiences during the typhoon. They sort of bonded and then they became friends. And that's when the women were able to get the male masons to teach them you know, certain techniques. And then the good thing about having female masons is they're more, they tend to be more conscious of 
of how they do things. They want things done in a certain way, in a certain quality, that they would not stop until they reach that sort of quality. So if they are unsatisfied with their, their work, they would do it again. They would try to repeat it and do better. So, and I think the the masons, the master masons, which are men then, they were the ones who were really mentoring the, the other masons. The master masons were able to see this, that women were really, um, you know, they were striving hard. They were really motivated to do better, to do well in their work. And it ended up that these women were actually the ones fabricating the toilet bowls because they wanted it to be really smooth. They wanted it to have to be in different colors. They wanted it to to really look good and not just okay, you know. And they wanted to make it look um, marketable. Um, so th- there's that aspect that I think they were able to add to the to the products and you know uh women just love what they are doing they they learn to love it and uh they, they also clean up after work so there there's that um that experience you know they um they are different masons uh, compared to the male masons but uh i guess um uh what what the trainings and what this market-based program did for them was they realized that they could do um, hard work, you know, hard labor. It's not, um, they, they, they maybe thought that, maybe in the beginning they would say that I can do this, but there were, there was a lot of doubt and a lot of, um, on their part, they were, they were also doubting themselves because people around them doubted them. But when they began to produce results, like produce toilet bowls and people admired their work so they began to grow in confidence and work faster and do more um they were also more concerned about uh, ensuring that there are customers and ensuring that the workflow is not interrupted so there are things like that that um that they were able to bring into the program also um, I think at the moment, uh, I, I think Pearl would be able to verify this, but the the ones who are continuing the the work in terms of fabricating toilet bowls in Bantayan are mostly women. So they are the ones left and working with the MFI. Um, I think Pearl could verify that. But definitely, they have a different added value, you know, to, to the work. Um uh, not saying that they are to replace the men in this. Uh, I think that men and women working together in producing these toilet models was actually a good um, practice because they were able to exchange ideas. Uh, if the males could could um, uh, knew the uh, if the males knew how to to do the uh, employ the proper techniques in construction, in you know, in cement mixing, the right mixtures, the right ways, and how to measure things. The women would be there to complement them in terms of aesthetics, in terms of the design of the quality of it. So actually, quality control would be done more by women than men. So things like that. 
I think when we started uh, bringing female masons in the picture, we started to actually highlight gender issues when it comes to sanitation. Because I think it's just uh, highlighted the role of women in terms of actually providing or the key uh, key uh, key person in terms of uh, making sure that the water or sanitation needs of the family is being taken care of. Because I guess women are the first one who actually carry the burden in terms of poor sanitation or poor water access. And at the same time, uh, I think uh, women are also underrated when it comes to looking at the role they play in terms of uh, promoting proper sanitation in the community. So we just highlighted some gender uh, equality issues on sanitation. And it also, I think it's also very instrumental in breaking the barriers in actually looking at women or stereotyping women's role as mainly uh, just uh, handling the task of providing the sanitation or water needs of the family, but rather looking at them as uh, another, like an entrepreneur or somebody that can also do similar tasks as men. I guess we have one case in G1 that we have both husband and wives working together as masons during the training. The positive uh, effect of the program at the community level is actually we managed to bring husbands and wives together and look at sanitation in a different light rather than just mainly as the responsibility of the women. Could I just add something? Um, I actually just witnessed this uh, last week when I when I um, when I uh, I go I joined the evaluation in Sulat, I am just uh, so happy that uh, I think it's a mason. The, the 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 husband was 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 the mason who were who was trained before uh, last year, and then now um, she, he actually encouraged his wife to join him in the fabrication of toilet bowls. So now, um, it is one of their shared livelihood doing the, the toilet bowls. So um, also, uh, his wife is now uh, doing, uh, is now uh, building, uh, building, fabricating toilet bowls. So, but, but the wife is not, was, not, um, was not involved in the training before last year. We were doing wash and markets. So that was in, in Sulat. That was just one example. Can I ask um, um, about uh, what happens to all the poop? Um, what about the fecal sludge management biosolid aspect of the waste that's being generated? What, what happens to it? Is there a system in place to deal with that? Um, it just seems like a lot of communities that do go open defecation free end up with big pits of the waste anyway. Uh, so I'm just wondering if you could share some information about how that's being addressed through these projects, please. Uh, during the implementation of WAM, I think uh, both regions, Eastern Samar and Bantayan Island, uh, the local governments don't have existing uh, facilities for fecal sludge management. And then also during that time, 
there were two separate projects being implemented. One is the septage management revolving fund, which is implemented in different municipalities. And then we have this wash and markets, which is implemented in separate municipalities. So I guess the challenge in addressing the sludge or the solid waste produced by the toilets is, uh, I think we it wasn't addressed during that time. And at the same time, uh, the main focus of the program was uh, providing access. And I think we haven't reached on the stage where people have built toilets that, that we need to actually service. So most of the toilet models that we actually design are good for two years. So which means uh, if we're going to actually have the partners uh, continue the project, especially the MFI partner who actually absorbed the project and been continuing the implementation on the ground in Bantayan Island, it will give them time to actually start building on the facility to service those toilets, the households who have availed of the program. And also currently, uh, we are actually integrating the septage management revolving fund right now to the same similar municipalities where we had uh, implemented wash and markets to address that gap on the initial uh, implementation of the program. So initially, it wasn't there because there was uh, a disconnect on the two programs internally. But looking at that right now, realizing that, okay, we should have integrated both programs. So now it's being done. So we have actually now are discussing in Bantayan, all the three municipalities in Bantayan in uh, constructing and building of the septage management facility. And at the same time, the municipality of Sulat is also now being uh, targeted to actually benefit from the revolving fund mechanism. So that's the way forward in terms of addressing the fecal sludge. Great, thank you so much for responding to that. I know it's a challenge for a lot of WASH projects, so thanks, um, and good luck. <laughs> um, as we kind of move forward towards the end of this interview, I want to ask, is there anything else that any of you would like to say or share about the project? I think why, it, uh, in a certain degree, it managed to actually influence uh, people that we uh, have on the ground, and even the government is... Uh, we have partnerships. Partnerships has played a big role in ensuring that we can develop a model that is actually adaptable and respond to the context on the ground. So we are lucky to have found good partners and we have managed to develop good partnership with them. So if we didn't have a microfinance partner that has a very flexible uh, program and organizational uh, capacity, I don't think we will be able to develop the proper financing uh, programs that we have, the products that we have. And at the same time, the enterprise component, if we actually didn't also find a good partner that actually uh, support or build capacity of local market actors on the ground, I don't think we'll be able to actually have the microenterprise uh, framework of WAM. And also... One uh, key factor is also leveraging with government programs. I think that's the strength of one because we managed to leverage and we managed to anchor the program with existing government programs. So I think that's our uh, mindset when we're looking at sustainability. How can we link our program to existing government programs that can absorb it once we leave the area? 
So right now, I just actually earlier I just had a meeting with our external consultant that we have for evaluation, and she just told me that DSWD has already observed our program. So they have incorporated in their subsidy program that the the beneficiaries should have allotted some uh, portion of their health subsidy to sanitation. So they're now requiring all all beneficiaries of the Pantawid program to have sanitation investments. So which is, I think, one of the positive uh, effect of the program. And then second is market development. I think if we're looking at sustainability and if we're looking at communities being able to actually catch your needs, we need to develop the market for sanitation products. At the same time, develop the market for small market actors like masons and other stakeholders uh, on the ground like uh, village health workers who play a big role in actually uh, implementing sanitation ordinances and also in promoting sanitation at household level. So we need to look at the roles of those people and how do we support them if we're looking at enterprise development on WASH. And then third is financing. There are a lot of available subsidy programs, both by INGOs, the government, and even the private sector. So how can we actually look at in uh, tapping all those available finances in building the capacity of the household and at the same time, building the capacity of the entrepreneurs on the ground? So because one of the key barriers to access in the Philippines for sanitation is financing, financial capacity of households. Although there are other a lot of barriers, but I think the number one, and which is very much, I think, uh, heavy in terms of looking at household capacity, is financial. Because most of the target communities we have are dependent on seasonal livelihoods. And most of these communities actually have a monthly income that is even $100 or even less. So if you're looking at sanitation facilities that are... Uh, mandated by the government, which will cost you about $1,000 to build, then the problem to access is mainly financing. So you have to actually address that initially before you look at other technical aspects. So I think those are the three key areas which actually highlights the strength of washing markets because we focus on those three key things. So very last question, if somebody would like to learn more or build off of the success of your project, or to kind of tap into the knowledge that you guys are generating through this work, how would you recommend that they do that? Are there any resources available online? Um, can they read reports about this or newsletters? I even heard that there might be a book out there about this project. Um, can you share any of the knowledge that's available about this? Uh, I guess for, for information, there's always the Oxfam website. And no. then also we have... Uh, I think it, the one book is actually a collection of uh, case stories from household to our partners. So Masons, uh, you have the Savers, you have, uh, I think, all the stakeholders that we have actually uh, work with. So it's coming from their perspective, how the project has influenced them. I'm sure Oxfam is working out on disseminating the information. And I think also the impact evaluation, which was just concluded, I think Oxfam is also going to share that on the uh, policy and practice website as a knowledge and uh, learning uh, product from, for market-based approaches. 
Great. Um, with that, I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you to all three of you for making the time this evening to be a part of this call and to tell these stories. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to share um, our work. Uh, you know, it was a pilot project, but um, I'm glad that it's um, gained a lot of interest. Great. Yeah, I'm hoping that when people listen to this podcast, they'll say, oh, there's really something here. I wonder how I can incorporate that into my work as well and maybe reach out to you or take some of the lessons from what we've discussed and apply them in their context with their NGOs as well. So I know we've been getting a lot of uh, sort of uh, attention for the project that we have done, but I guess uh, we're actually surprised that we're getting this attention because during the time we're implementing Washington Markets, we're just doing what we could do during that time. We couldn't even say that it's a success because on our part, we just did what we could do. So, uh, but Thank you. Thank you for appreciating the efforts of the team. And also, I guess, uh, yeah, thank you for appreciating the, the results of the project. And thank you. Kini is an initiative of the Australian Water Partnership and the International Water Centre Alumni Network. Kini connects water managers and shares knowledge throughout the Asia-Pacific. Visit our website at kini.org.au for more information and for videos, articles, news and more.